Hi, everyone. This is Jason Franklin. Thanks for joining me. Uh, today is March 30th, and we've got our first 10 minutes or less on democracy. Here's what's going on this week impacting our democracy. A couple of big things that I've been paying attention to. First, like all of us looking at the continuing develop and rollout of the coronavirus vaccines and their impact on the coronavirus epidemic. We're seeing the rise again in several states, partly in response to the variants of the virus that are becoming more widespread, but also as people are unfortunately getting more lax in their behavior. Uh, it's rather remarkable, actually, they're now seeing almost 75% of Americans over 65 have received at least one dose of the vaccine, but millions of people are still vulnerable. Cases are rising here in Michigan, where I'm at. I finally got my vaccine on Saturday, which is a thrill. And at the same time, we're seeing rising rates in Michigan along with rising rates in New York, New Jersey, and other Northeastern states. And so the question remains for the Biden administration, can they continue to beat their vaccine targets? And what is that gonna mean for how the kind of restoration of our economy plays out and how that gets structured and talked about in terms of the politics of coronavirus? That's happening alongside the next big push from the Biden administration, which is the upcoming infrastructure package. We're expecting to see this week the formal proposal for $3 trillion or more for infrastructure investments. But there's already some rumbling around resistance from moderate Democrats, in particular around the ways that this gets paid for. The, right now, it looks like the four big ways that the infrastructure bill would be offset is around a raise in the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. It'd be worth almost uh, $750 billion in new taxes over 10 years a global minimum tax on the profits of foreign subsidiaries. This would be an attempt to capture taxes on companies that are uh, profiteering outside the United States, raising the top individual tax rate back to the 39.6%, the pre-Trump rate. And then fourth is a long sought shift by progressives taxing capital gains as regular income and also taxing unrealized capital gains at death. All of those big contentious tax adjustments that progressives have been working for, whether they can keep moderate Democrats on board or not, not to mention the attacks from Republicans, new $25 million plan that has been announced from Republicans trying to fight back against this infrastructure bill. So this will be the next big national debate. Third one, also critical developing is the work from the White House on climate. The infrastructure package itself is really wrapping a lot of really ambitious climate policy goals into what is essentially a jobs bill, trying to marry the two and what is often discussed as a just transition to a new economy. Uh, but you're also seeing some other things. And this is where I think for those of us who are not keyed into the rest of the detail, you know, you saw the administration announced their seeking 30 gigawatts of offshore electricity generation by 2030. That was higher than even the most aggressive projections from any of the energy analysts or progressives that were looking at it. it. Gives hope for this transition that the Biden administration is taking really strong strides where it can on climate. You're also going to be seeing the State Department unroll next month the country's new emission targets under the Paris Agreement. And so what those are going to be and how strong they will be will be another thing we'll be paying attention to. Two other last things I'd mention, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the trial now underway in Minneapolis, um, the murder of George Floyd and the trial of Derek Chauvin, really putting us back in this ongoing reckoning around race and justice. What will be the outcome? How will it be portrayed? How will people react to it? 
Racial justice is something that we have the privilege as white people to ignore. And if you're a person of color, you see every day. And George Floyd's killing was just the latest in a series of police violence moments over the last decade, decades, centuries. And yet it has captured our attention in a way that offers a moment of reconciliation, offers a moment of reckoning and a moment for transformation if we can seize it. Whatever the outcome of the actual trial, the implications of the trial will ripple through our policy and our politics. In addition to reckoning with the implications of racial justice and police brutality in the George Floyd trial, we're also reckoning with the implications of racial justice in voting this week. Just a few days ago, Georgia passed and then Governor Kemp signed into law what is being called Jim Crow 2.0, one of the most egregious set of voter suppression laws that have been passed anywhere in the country in recent memory. This did everything from shortening the absentee ballot request period, shortening the turnaround time for when you can return absentee ballots, restricting polling hour locations, uh, truncating the runoff period, banning mobile voting, making it illegal to give water by hand to voters in line, and so much more. There are already lawsuits being filed against the Georgia election, but it really highlights why the For the People Act, House Resolution 1, is perhaps the single biggest piece of legislation right now that can strengthen and protect democracy. Last week, I helped co-host a briefing with Congressman Sarbanes, one of the lead sponsors of the For the People Act, with One for Democracy and Tiffany Muller from End Citizens United talking about how do we push the For the People Act across the finish line. With One for Democracy right now, we're recommending if you're looking to help supporting the work of End Citizens United as one of the key groups helping to push for passage of the For the People Act, but also there are many local groups in states across the country that are mobilizing to put pressure on key senators to pass Senate Bill 1 so that we can see protection of our democracy across the country really critical. We're going to keep talking about this over the coming weeks because it's perhaps one of the biggest conversations about the future of our democracy we can be engaged in. And lastly is a really interesting poll that has been coming out for 83 years. Gallup has been asking every year, do you attend regularly a house of worship, a church, a synagogue, or a mosque? Back in 1999, 70% of respondents said yes. In 1937, 73% of people said yes. This year, for the first time ever, less than 50% of people responded that they attend regularly a house of worship. This has been an ongoing trend, but its implications for our politics are profound. How do people make their political decisions? What is the role of faith and organized religion in our values and in our politics? It's going to be something we're going to continue to grapple with over these coming years, but these moments where you see a poll come out and show that tipping point are always a moment we want to take note of think about its implications. So those are some of the things I'm paying attention to this week. Thanks for joining us on this quick rundown of the 10 minutes or less on democracy, and we'll see you next week.